morning, we're thankful that we get this time together before we start handing out the food to be able to give you some spiritual food, some encouragement in the Word of God for the, the Word that God has given to us should be like daily bread to us. If we're not in the Word of God, it's like we're starving our souls. For This is the things that God has said to us and revealed to us through the prophets and the apostles and through Jesus Christ, His Son, that we really need if we want to have a hope of knowing the Lord God. And so today... We're going to be looking at a, a few different passages of Scripture. I was busy writing all this stuff up on the board. I wish we could have a Bible in everybody's hand, but uh, in case you don't have a Bible, um, you can see it right up here. These are the three passages I'll be touching on, and but we're going to be spending the first part mostly in Matthew chapter 6. And in this chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus has been teaching a crowd of people who have gathered to Jesus to learn from him. They recognize that there's something special about this man. Uh, they think maybe he is a prophet. Some have already started to think that perhaps this is the Messiah, especially those who had heard the preaching of John the Baptist who came forward before Jesus and started to prepare the way and prepare the hearts and the minds of the people to receive the Messiah. And so they're eager to hear from him. And so this moment is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest sermon that we have that Jesus preached that is recorded in Scripture. And it is is a series of commands and, and, and wisdom sayings that are meant to help those who follow after Jesus understand the way that they are to walk in the world and how they are to trust in him. So he touches on many topics in the sermon, and one that is quite memorable and is very familiar to a lot of people is the section where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray properly. Now, prayer is something that a lot of people are familiar with. When we pray, we are trying to communicate with God, the God who created us, the God who brings a way for salvation for us. And so prayer was never meant to be some mechanical, just sort of religious activity that doesn't involve the mind. It wasn't just a, a copying of words. It was meant to be a time when we communicate with God. But we pray best when we pray in the ways that God has taught us to pray. So if you care about prayer, and if you believe that prayer is important to the life of somebody who wants to have a relationship with God, then it, it makes sense to listen as the Son of God teaches us how to pray. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read um, verses 9 through 13. It says in verse 9, this is Jesus, and he says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed or honored be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then some manuscripts that we have include this line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is the word of the Lord, and it is Jesus teaching his people how to better understand what it means to pray and what our prayers should look like, what kind of content should be included in our prayers. Now, there are several things that should be commonly asked of God in prayer. Prayer is not just for asking. You know, first of all, we want to recognize that God is God and thank him. It says, pray then like this, our Father who is in heaven... And then the first request that we have is that God's name would be hallowed, which means to be honored. 
So this is request number one. Hallowed be your name. That means we want the name of God to be lifted up in the world. We want people to understand how good and pure and perfect he is. We want the name of God to be given respect. And we don't want to take the name of God in vain. So we're asking that God would glorify himself in the world. And that he would do that through us. The second request is that his kingdom would come. Okay? Jesus came to establish this promised kingdom. Now the Jews who were God's special chosen people had experienced a taste of the kingdom when they had been given a land of their own. They had been given the land of Israel and that land was a place of promise. But because they were, they were not faithful to the covenant that God had made with them, the promise that he made to them, that land was taken away from them. Fortunately, God is a keeper of his promises. And that land was only a picture of the real land that established, that God established, that we're going to call one day Zion, the new heavens and the new earth, which will be our permanent dwelling place. So they had lost the kingdom, but the kingdom was being established again through Jesus Christ, who was from the seed of David, the greatest Jewish king. So that's our second request, that God's kingdom would come, that he would bring his kingdom again, that he would reign on the throne and be in charge of all things. The third request is that his will would be done. We want God's will to be done. Now listen, God's will is not always just like our will, is it? Our will is often selfish. It's often short-sighted. We don't even know what we should want in this world. We often think we know what we want. But God, like a good father, knows better than we do what we should really want. So if we trust in God, and if we believe that he is good and that there's no sin in him, we should pray that God's will would be done. So many times when we go to the Lord in prayer, if we really think about our prayers, it's often, God, this is what I want. Please do this for me. But our prayers would help us to draw near to the Lord if our prayers were more like this. God, what do you want? Show me what you want and help me to want the things that you want because you're wiser and I trust you. So we should pray that God's will would be done and that we should want it to be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Not only do we want God to reign in heaven, but we want his reign to be real here on earth as well. Now the fourth petition is that God would give us our daily bread, that he would meet our needs. Now this is not just a prayer about bread. It's a simple way for Jesus to teach his people that it is right, it is appropriate for us to ask God to give us the things that we need. You know, if I need clothing, I should ask that the Lord would provide it for me. If I need shelter, as many people do in our our age today, that God would provide shelter. We should ask that the Lord would give us food. And we hope that this food pantry, in some ways, is God answering this prayer, the fourth petition, for you, that you're getting food from the Lord because it's hard to come by it in these days and age. So, so the fourth petition, or petition, give us this day our daily bread. And then the fifth petition, the fifth request that we make in the Lord's Prayer is that God would forgive us of our debts. Now, this fifth position or petition is what I would like to focus on today. Lord, forgive us of our debts. Jesus is not talking here about financial debts. Okay, when we see the word debt, we instantly think, oh yeah, I got some debts. You should see my credit card bills, right? I, I'm behind on my water bill. I hope they don't shut off my power. I've got debts. I haven't been able to pay for my car. I hope they don't repossess my car. Many of us have financial debts, but when Jesus is telling us 
to ask God to forgive our debts, the key word there, forgive, tells us that the debt isn't really about money. He's talking about the debt that we owe to him. Jesus is telling us that we should be praying for the forgiveness of our sins. So that's the kind of debt he's talking about, the debt that we owe to God because of our disobedience. Jesus is talking about our sin, and this is a summons, this is a, this is a call for us to have repentance in our prayer times. It should be something that is regular when we seek the Lord. It's a reoccurring theme in the time that we spend praying and talking with our God, that we should be asking him to help us be repentant. So what is repentance? Repentance is is a very simple concept, really. I think we make it more complicated than it needs to be. In its most basic sense, repentance, or in the Spanish, arrepentimiento, repentance is a change of mind. It's a change in the way that we think about our sin. What is sin? It is breaking the law of God. It is is hearing the commands that God has given to us and refusing to follow those commands. Because human beings all come from the first sinner, the first man was named Adam, and in the garden he was born, created without sin. But because of his lack of faith in God, he broke his covenant with God and he sinned. Every human being who has come since him has been born into sin. We are naturally sinners. That means we don't have to work hard to sin. It just flows out of us. Now, just because sin is natural, does that mean that it's right? No. Okay. Sin is natural for us, but it is not right for us. And in fact, true human nature, because Adam was made without sin, is that man should be sinless. So the fact that we are now so naturally sinful, that means there's something broken, something wrong that needs to be fixed. Repentance involves changing the way that we think about our sin, changing the way that we think about breaking God's law. So rather than seeing sin as an expression of our personal freedom to do what we want, when we have a repentant heart, we begin to see sin for what it really is we begin to see it as rebellion against God, as an insult to the God that we owe everything to. So what was the first petition in the Lord's Prayer? What do we ask first? We ask for God's name to be honored, for him to be hallowed, right? Now think about this. How can God be honored if we act in direct disobedience to his commands? When we ask for God's name to be honored, we're already looking at the fact that we are sinful in ourselves, that that needs to change. And so we need our mind to change about our sin. We need to begin thinking differently about the way that we break God's law. You know, it is right for us to feel shame for our sin. We live in a culture right now when people are encouraging you to never feel bad about whatever you do. If you do it, it must be right. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that there is right and there is wrong. And that when we do what is wrong, according to God's word and his command, that we should feel shame for that. So when we break the laws of God, we should not feel justified or proud in that. We should feel like, wow, I, that was wrong for me to do that. I have dishonored the name of the God who made me. It is right to recognize that there is danger in sin. When we sin against the God to whom we are asking for forgiveness and bread and uh, 
his perfect will to be done. When we, when we break that God's laws, that, that is difficult for, I mean, that, it's difficult for us to think about that God blessing us when we're living against his commandments. We should also come to a point where we begin to hate our sin. To hate sin is the right thing. Because if we love the God of love and truth, and if sinning is breaking God's law, then we should come to such a point where we... It's not that sin is just inconvenient or that it, you know, it, it leads to a worse life, but we should really learn to hate the sin that we have inside of us because that sin is the thing that separates us from what is best for us, which is a relationship with the God of all creation. When we begin to start to feel repentant, then our attitude and thought towards our sin will change. Real repentance, though, goes beyond just the thoughts, goes beyond the mind. How can we even know if our minds have really changed about sin? We know that when we begin to see a corresponding difference in the way that we obey the Lord, right? If I truly hate my sin, I will no longer want to walk in sin. I'll I'll take measures to stop sinning. I will turn away from it. And so one definition of repentance that I think is really helpful, it begins as a change in mind, but people often speak about repentance as a U-turn away from sin. When you're driving your car, right, and you realize, you know what, my, my app told me to go in the wrong direction. I'm going to end up in the wrong place if I keep going this way. I need to turn around. So what do you do? You carefully put your blinker on, you wait till it's safe, and you make a 180 degree turn, and you go in a different direction. So repentance is essentially a U-turn away from sin. You're recognizing it's not God's will for you to do that thing, and so you turn away from it, and you determine to go in the different direction than you were going before. Do you remember last week when our Deacon Stephen preached to you from Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9? I wrote it right up here so that we remember. It's good to kind of keep those things in our head. We don't want to just teach you things and then, oh, that was really encouraging for the moment, and then we forget it. We're really hoping that the Word of God gets into our hearts And then we begin to think about it all the time because it's the word of God that is good for life, not just for a moment. And so last week we learned, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So Deacon Steve preached faithfully, that if we are saved today, it's because God in his loving mercy has granted us salvation. He has given us the gift of his mercy and he has done what we could not do for ourselves. He changed our mind. See, if our nature, if our broken sin nature wants to sin, we need God to do an internal work in us that we cannot do for ourselves. One of the most important takeaways from that message that Stephen preached was it salvation, the salvation that we need, the salvation that saves us from our sin and allows us to be at peace with God, that salvation is not a reward. We can't boast about it because it's not a gift or payment that God gives us for our obedience. It is a gift. God gives it freely and he gives it to whom he chooses. So how should that make us think about repentance? When we think about these two concepts together, how should the fact that salvation is a gift shape the way that we think about this change that occurs in our minds that makes us think differently about our sins? Here's here's what I really want you to remember from today, okay? Salvation is a gift from God. 
And that means that a repentant heart, which is necessary for salvation, is also part of that gift. We pray in a repentant way, but we also pray that God would give us repentance, that he would help us to have a heart that thinks differently about our sin. Let me show you direct evidence of that from Scripture. I don't like preaching opinion. I want to show you what comes from the Word. So one last passage of Scripture here. This is from the book of Acts. In the earliest days of the church, the church was made up mostly of Jewish people who knew the Old Testament covenant, which all pointed towards God's solution for sin. And these were the first people to understand that Christ, his death and his burial and his resurrection was a sacrifice meant to wash sin away. And so the earliest church was mostly Jewish. But it had been God's plan all along to extend his graceful mercy beyond the ethnic nation of Israel, to extend that mercy to every tribe and every tongue and every people. And so in Acts chapter 11, we begin to see this unfold in a really exciting way. Peter has just recently in chapter 10 been given a vision by God that indicated that they were going to preach this gospel, not just to the Jews, but to everybody. And then in chapter 11, he's given this opportunity by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel specifically to a group of Gentiles led by a man named Cornelius. These are non-Jewish people, but they've heard about Jesus. They want to know more about what he's all about. They've heard he's connected somehow to God. And so Peter preaches the truth to them, not knowing what's going to happen. And to his amazement, these Gentiles, these non-Jews, they repented of their sin. They felt conviction about the things that they had done to break God's law. They believed that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and that after being crucified to pay for their sin, that he rose from the dead and they put their faith in him. They said, we're going to live our lives for Jesus. We want to be a part of your church. So Peter is stunned. And all he can do is confess what he has seen happen. And so he tells his Jewish brothers and sisters that these Gentiles have believed. And he gives the report here in Acts chapter 11, verse 18. Hey, sweetie. She's, she's creeping up on me. I'm, I'm trying really hard not to trip over, but she's fine. So in Acts chapter 11, it says, When they heard these things, in other words, when they heard that the Gentiles had repented, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also has God, what? Granted repentance that leads to life. What is this telling us here? It's telling us that repentance is not something that we work up inside of ourselves. It's not something that we can intellectually be convinced that we need. Repentance is something that God does as a gift. He works in our hearts a different way of thinking about our sin. And so when God reveals to us the seriousness of our law-breaking, and he begins to make us grieve over our sin and feel remorse for it, that he begins to make the turn for us. We're headed in this direction. We're determined to do the things that we want to do, even if they are offense to God. And then God turns us around and makes us go towards what is good and holy and pure. So we do not get to repentance without God's help. Repentance isn't our gift to God. It is God's gift to us. And so the salvation that brings about repentance in us is evidence of God's saving work. It is not that God waits for us to repent. 
And whenever someone does, he responds by saving them? No. When God saves a person, their mind begins to change and they see their sin for what it is. It is dishonor to God. They're grieved by their sin and then they cry out to God to forgive them of their sin. And of course, since God is the one who is bringing about this change of mind in the believer, he's also happy to provide them with the forgiveness that they ask for. So if you still love your sin, if you still are committed to it, you're not going to get rid of this sin. You know it's wrong, but you're going to continue to commit that sin. Then you have not yet been given the gift of repentance from God. And I would challenge you and urge you this morning, if that is the case, friend, pray for repentance. Pray that God would change your heart towards your sin. That the thing that has been your thrill for however long would begin to you'd see it as your greatest danger. Because you recognize that sin separates you from God. And that only through the work of Christ can we be brought near to the Lord God. Plead with God to change your mind and change your heart towards sin. And as we wrap up, I want to give you one more detail here. Salvation is a one-time transformation. It's not something that we can gain and then lose and then get saved again. And then we fall into sin so we're not saved anymore. That's not how salvation works. Because it is God's work in us. But repentance which is a product of our salvation, it's a byproduct of God saving us, that is something that we need every day. So we don't just pray for repentance the one time that we get saved and we don't have to do it anymore because we know we're forgiven. We are forgiven, but we continue to ask, just as Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, we continue to pray, God, forgive us of our debts. That should be our everyday prayer because it reminds us in humility that the reason we can walk in peace with God is because that divide between us and our Creator has been brought to nothing through Jesus Christ. He is the one that forgives us. If you think that forgiveness is something you get one time and you never have to repent again, what your mind is going to do is you're going to drift away from needing God. You're going to think that you can do whatever you want to do. You're going to fall back into sin and you're not going to be trusting for the Lord, for the power to overcome sin. So we are regularly repenting of our sin because it is the kindness of of God that leads us to repentance. We see His grace and His mercy and we desire to be near to Him. And so, just to conclude, friends, I, I, I hope that this helped you understand what repentance is. It's such a critical part of God's plan to restore man to God so that we might be close to Him and we might be a part of His family and we might know who He is and why we were made so that we can enjoy Him and worship Him forever. Let's bow in a word of prayer and then we'll start to distribute our numbers. God, we love you and we are thankful this morning for your great love for your people and we ask, God, that you would help us to see clearly. Many things that we learn in life, we have to learn a couple of times because perhaps we learn it mostly right, but we're missing important elements to understand properly. And so most people have heard of repentance. Most people know that it involves turning away from sin. But help us to see today and to glorify you, to honor your name, to hallow you, because you are the one who gives us repentance even as a gift. So continue to save, Lord God. Even save this morning someone who needs to know that they belong to you and that they can have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We pray that those whom you save, you will continue to sanctify, that you will tethered to yourself so that forever they will be near to you, Lord God. And may this victory that you have won over sin and over death be also our victory. And so we pray these things to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.